0: Have you ever heard a story or watched a movie where there wasn't a defined ending? Uh, there was no resolution to the story. And, and, and I think generally when we read that, our reaction is something like, wait, that's it? Or well, what happens next? I have to know what, what's going to be next. I, I can't stand movies or, or even shows that are to be continued. I want to know. And in the age of Netflix, we just keep going and, and spend our whole day, and then we do know. But, but it's stories that, that don't seem to have this, this uh, resolution to them, uh, and we, we want a resolution. Well, there are stories in the Bible that leave us without some resolution, uh, and they're at times a little bit maddening. Uh, but the intent of the storyteller usually is to put the question or, or the unresolved tension back to you. So the, the Gospel of Mark is actually a perfect example of this. If you, if you look in your Bible, um, there's this little, in most of them it says, the earliest manuscripts end at this point. And then it has a little bit more, more scripture. But if we end right there where the earliest versions of the, the scripture we have uh, end, then this is what the Gospel of Mark ends with. Uh, i got to find it. Uh, Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid that's the end like wow uh what happens next like what that can't be the end of, of of a gospel story can it but mark what mark is doing there is saying okay so they went away from the tomb where the lord was been resurrected from trembling and afraid and they didn't tell anybody what about you will will you tell the story Will you share the story uh, of the resurrected one, Jesus Christ? And, and we know that evidently the, the women did share the story eventually because, well, we're here today, right? Somebody told the story. We, we heard it. Well, our, our scripture today is another story. It's actually a parable, uh, a way for, that Jesus taught that is open-ended. There isn't a, a resolution at the end of it. And so I want to read from Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 3, and then skip to verse 11 and read through verse 32. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them? Then Jesus told them this parable. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the young son Got, all, got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother's come home, he he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered him, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat. So I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you were always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, if, you, if you've been in church for a while, the chances are very, very good that you've heard that parable before, that you know that story. And even if you haven't been in church, uh, there is a chance that you've heard this parable because it is one of the most told and most well-loved stories in the Bible. And if you haven't, well, you just heard it now. So con- congratulations. Uh, welcome. Well, th- this is a, a story about a son who sins greatly and then comes to his senses He returns home and is welcomed by the Father with such love and such kindness. We love this story because it is a story about God's love and it's a story about sinners who are forgiven, and we love it. And I think most of the time when we hear this story, we tend to hear ourselves as the son, or maybe you'll change the language there and daughter, but that we are this younger son who was lost who was sinning, and has come home, come to their senses, been found, and received the love of God. I think we tend to view ourselves as the younger son in the story. And so, again, this is a story about the goodness and graciousness of God's love, and we usually identify ourselves as that younger son. But if we frame the parable as Jesus did, we might come to the conclusion that we could be somebody else in this story. Jesus tells a trilogy of parables about lost things and lost people being found, and he tells them in response to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law's complaint. They complained that Jesus welcomed sinners and he ate with them. The the religious people were upset that Jesus was including people who they rightly identified as sinners. They were right. They were absolutely right Jesus was welcoming sinners and he was eating with them. So I don't think, at least I'm not sure, that, this, that Jesus is responding to their complaint to show them that, that these people were in fact not sinners. That's not why Jesus is telling this parable. He's not trying to prove that the people he eats with are not sinners. It seems to me that Jesus has at least two reasons for telling this story. And the first is to sign to sinners that they are welcome. To, to tell sinners that they are welcome to come to Jesus. Notice that, that in the scripture, it says the sinners and tax collectors had gathered around Jesus. They, they gathered around him, and, and they, they came to Jesus. And, and Jesus didn't just passively associate with them. He could have said to the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, well, I mean, I didn't bring them. They came to me. What was I to do? He, he doesn't do that. He doesn't just passively spend time with them we read he ate with them he he shared a meal with them and eating is a sign of, of friendship apparently I am good friends with a lot of people uh, eating is a sign of, of friendship and, and in those days to sit at someone's table was a sign uh, of great welcome it was a sign of acceptance and so Jesus welcomed sinners he ate with them and in the parable this younger son who demanded his inheritance uh he, he was effectively saying to, to the father, you're as good as dead to me. And so here's Jesus eating with sinners and, and, and tax collectors were like the enemy. I probably should tell you that, right? Why, why sinners and tax collectors? Tax collectors were like the, the Benedict Arnold's of the day. They were like traitors to, to the Jewish people because they collected taxes for Rome and, and enriched themselves as well off the backs of people. And so they did not like the tax collectors very much. So that's who Jesus has been associating with. And then he tells this story about a younger son who has demanded his inheritance. And in demanding his inheritance, what he has effectively said to his father is, I wish you were dead. Or, or you're as good as dead to me. Give me what, what's coming to me. And, and so he, he said to his dad, I wish you were dead, uh, in effect. And demanded his inheritance. Uh, and then he went off and he squandered it. On sinful living, well, uh, this happens quite often, I think. But when we're we're entrenched in sin, we just tend to go further and further and further down until we hit what what we call rock bottom. And he is at rock bottom. This young son is at rock bottom, and hard times come upon him. There's a famine across the land. He has no money left. Uh, we're not told where his friends went, but. They're not around anymore once his money's gone. So his friends are are gone. He has nothing left. And and, and he was hungry. He was hungry. And and I don't think this was a, I missed one meal or one day. I I think he was, I mean, it tells us he looked at the pods or or the pig's food and he longed to eat it. I've never been that hungry. But he must have just been desperately hungry. And, And... And as I I read this week and and studied and and I I thought about that, okay, why tell us he was hungry? Why tell us about these pigs that he's, he's longing to eat their food? And then I remembered, what was Jesus doing with sinners and tax collectors? He ate with them. He ate with them. And so here's this young son, a sinner, and he's hungry. And where did he know that he would be fed? Where did he know that he would receive food? Even if it was just as a servant, he would receive food. It was in his father's house. It was in his father's house. And so he 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 comes to his senses and he says, if even in my father's house the servants eat. I'll go back there. And... And so this younger son who who is hungry knows that he'll be fed in the father's house. Sinners are attracted to Jesus, and they're welcomed by Jesus to dine with him. To dine with him. To be friends. To be welcomed by Jesus. Those who come to Jesus with repentance are embraced by the generous love of God. And this young son shows us that. He's repentant. Father, I've sinned against you and against heaven. Uh, make me a servant in your house. He, he's repentant and, and he goes home. This son who brought shame on his family is welcomed home. And not just welcomed, but welcomed with the embrace of love. Welcomed by, by the, the loving arms of his father. And I, I want to just talk a little bit about the culture of that day. Not, not for too long, but it's important for us to understand that the culture that Jesus lived in was an honor and shame culture and we don't really live in an honor shame culture but a little bit but for them it was honor and it was shame and and the goal for everyone in that culture was to gain as much honor as you could. You were always trying to to climb the the honor ladder And, and but they also thought that honor there was only so much honor that existed in the world. You couldn't create honor. There was just this finite or determined amount of honor in the world. And so in order for me to gain honor, somebody else has to be shamed. In order for me to to climb that honor ladder, you have to be put to shame so I can take your honor and move up. And, And, I mean, not nice, right? But. Not all that different from the world we live in, but not nice. And and so that that's at at play here. And and I got sorry, I gotta find my spot. <laughs> so this young son, he has shamed his family. He has shamed his family because he said to his dad, Give me my inheritance, which was again in effect saying, I wish you were dead. I mean, my my son's only five months old, but if he said that to me, like one, I'd be real unhappy, but but I need to have a, a long time out. But like that, that breaks you, right? There, there's shame associated with that. I wish you were dead. He he has dishonored his his father, and in that culture, that that's like one of the biggest no-nos you can do. And and, and it would have been one thing if he demanded his inheritance went off and took that money and like started a a business empire that was flourishing and he went home and and said dad look what I did with the inheritance that that you gave me I've made something of myself and our family is well known because of this but that's not what happened Uh, one that doesn't cover up the shame of demanding his inheritance before the father dies but also that's not what happened he goes off and he wastes it all on sinful living and then, I mean, that's continuing the shame upon his family. And then he comes home, and he's an embarrassment. He's a failure. He didn't start a business. He didn't even get a job. He, he's an embarrassment to his family. Shame upon shame. Dishonor upon dishonor. And what was the father's response? This father who had been so shamed and so dishonored by his young son, how does he respond? He actually brings shame upon himself. Uh, because another cultural element uh, uh, in, in those days, and even today in the Middle East, it is considered shameful for an elder to run. Uh, dignified people don't run. They walk. And, 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 which is another reason I don't run anymore. But... Uh, the, the, sorry, I couldn't help myself back to the serious stuff. Uh, the, the father he, he sees the son a long way off, and, and he shames himself, but he doesn't care. He shames himself by running to the son and, and embracing him, welcoming the shameful son home, uh, and not as the shameful son, but as his full son welcome back into the family. So he generously and graciously embraced his boy in a hug and celebrated his homecoming with a robe, sandals, and a party. Now, we're Nazarenes. We don't do parties very well. But they, they had a celebratory party because the son came home. So, so this young son was repentant. He came home. And, and repentance, in part, is admitting failure and, and, well, and, and accepting the graciousness of God and allowing that to, to change your life. And in this honor-shame culture, uh, he really would have been an embarrassment to, to his family. But here we find the love of God is not concerned with honor and shame. God, God's not that concerned with honor and shame. God's love is extended to the repentant in an extravagant celebration that the repentant are back on the way with Jesus or even have just begun following Jesus in the way. So one reading of this parable is to see the generous love of the Father. And that's a good reading. I mean, that is a right reading of this scripture. God who is so generous to sinners and invites them to come home more than invites God who longs for them to come home and to know the celebratory, generous love of God. But there's more to the story, isn't there? It's not just the young son it's not just a story of the prodigal son returning home. The father had two sons, the younger son and the older son. This older son or older brother, he cannot believe his eyes and ears. Can't believe it. There's a party going on, a great feast. And so he asks a servant, what's going on in there? And he says, your brother came home. And he's like, this cannot, this can't be. This can't be. His younger brother who has so dishonored the family is there at a feast and not just at the feast it's for him This isn't right This is not right How how could dad throw a party for the younger son who's done everything wrong He's done everything wrong He's a sinner And never for me the older brother Who's been here slaving away. That's the the language he uses. Uh, I've been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed you. Have you you ever noticed that he uses that language? Uh, I've slaved away for you. He equates himself with a slave, not a son. Uh, I've been diligently laboring for you. I've never disobeyed. So I'm I'm an older brother. I have three younger brothers, one younger sister, and then I have an older sister. And my older sister, myself, and my brother, Mike, we're like one year apart, each of us. And our parents, man, we had rules. We had rules. Uh, my dad said, well, there were so many of you that I had to run it like boot camp or else we wouldn't survive. And, and, and then I noticed, so the three of us, and then my sister, Katie, and brother, Steve, they, they came along a couple years later and they're one year apart. And, and things got a little bit more relaxed for them, but they mostly grew up how we did. And then there was the surprise. My brother Jack. He, he came along much later. And, and most of us moved out of the house and he was still there for another like 10 years. And, and we would come home and we're like, what? What is going on here? How, do, how does he get away with all of this? But, like no, cho- He barely does any chores, and it just seems like he could do whatever he wants. And we're like, this is not the house we grew up in. And we're like, we, we obeyed. We did everything right. And he got 15 more Christmas presents than us this year. This is not right. Something's wrong here. And that's not quite what's going on here. But you get the idea of older siblings who I've never disobeyed. Which isn't true. He might think a little more of himself than he ought, but I've never disobeyed. I've done everything I was supposed to. I've been here with you, dad, working in the field, slaving away. And he did everything wrong. And you go and throw a party for him and embrace him? This is not right. How does the father respond to this older brother? He says, my son, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. I think we usually see ourselves as the younger brother. And again, that's, that's good, that's right. We've all been sinners and we have all been welcomed into the family of God by the loving and forgiving embrace of God. We've all been the younger brother, but I think as the church... We might need to hear this from the older brother angle. And, and at times we can, can look out at the world and, and we, can, we, we look at them and we say, oh, that's shameful. They're, they're sinning. They're bringing dishonor upon God. They're, they're disobeying. And while that may be true, the attitude that we need to take is one of gracious and generous love that says, come on, uh, come, come and eat with us, uh, come let us, let's spend time with you because that's how God's been with us. So generous, so kind, so loving, so forgiving. So, so rather than, oh, shame, shame upon them, it's come home. C- come home. We don't want to be like the older brother who is just so upset that God would forgive the people who haven't done anything right. And we've been slaving away for you, Lord. Uh, we don't want to be like that. We want to be as God has been towards us, loving beyond measure. So this, this parable, it can be read from the younger brother's angle. It can be read from the older brother's angle, uh, but it's, it's actually it's open-ended, right? Uh, I don't know if you noticed that, but it really is open-ended. There is no resolution at the end of this story. What, what does the older brother do? We don't know. Uh, Tell us. We don't know. Does he go into the feast and welcome the younger brother and say, I'm so glad you're home. I missed you. Welcome back. We don't know. Or or does he stand outside and pout and grumble because his dad was, was so gracious in love towards the younger brother? We don't know. But in the not knowing, what what is Jesus doing here? He's really asking the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, these good religious people, how how are you going to respond? Because Jesus is eating with sinners and tax collectors. He's eating with the younger brother and celebrating that they have come and gathered around Jesus. And so are you going to be left outside? Or are you going to come in and celebrate the love of God? And, And and one more, one more thing, actually a couple more things, but at least one more thing. Uh, the, the, the reaction of the father towards this older brother, did, did you notice who goes to who? Who goes, or who goes to whom? I don't know. Uh, but who, it is the father who leaves the party and goes out to the older brother. Again, a sign of God's love. The this son who, who thought he had to work for, for the father's love. I've done everything you've asked. I've been working for you and doing everything. And he he says, I mean, I'm paraphrasing here, but what what the father says to this older brother is, you don't have to earn my love. I've always loved you. You've always been with me. So come on. You you come inside too. And, And so this story is about two sons, a sinner and a son who tried to earn the love of the father. But more than anything... This is a story about the love of the father who loves lavishly. This is a story about God's love that is generous beyond measure. So so in response to the love of the father, you are invited, we are invited to share the love of God with others. And and I so we've been talking about some different disciplines throughout Lent. We, we've talked about fasting, we've talked about prayer, we've talked about repentance, and I haven't really told you what, we're, well, what I've been talking about today. Generosity. Uh, in, in traditional terms, it's almsgiving, but I'm, I'm branching out a little bit. We're just going to call it generosity, because this has so much more, it's about, about so much more than money, although it, can, it is in part about money. But it's about so much more than that because the generous love of God ought to make us the most generous people in the world with our time, with our efforts, with our energy, with our I mean, our love that extends uh, into all areas of life, uh, and of co- and with our money too. How we spend our money matters. It, it evidences what we love and what we care about, and so it's about a lot of things. And I was racking my brain this week. How do I give give you a, a tangible thing to do, a tangible tangible act of generosity, and I'm not convinced that I came up with a good one, but here's what I've got. Uh, You've been encouraged to fast. Now, caveat, we know not everyone can fast from food just due to to medical things, and and that's okay, Uh, but but if you have been fasting from a meal or or fasting for a whole day uh, during the season of Lent, uh, what about... Figuring out how much money you saved on that meal or, or during that day. And finding someone who is not your family member, who is not your friend, but we might forget about. We might, I mean, we're not going to call them sinners and tax collectors. But those people that, that have been forgotten and excluded. And inviting them to have a meal. Or, or even just a coffee or tea or whatever it is you drink. Just inviting them to come or you go to them and spending time with them. So we can combine, in a way, this act of fasting but also prayerfully noticing, God, where would you have us go? To whom would you have us share a meal with? And it doesn't even have to be during about Lent, right? This is just a way of life. God, who would you have us go to and who would you have us spend our time with? Those people who are forgotten and maybe even despised. So I... I don't know how tangible that is or doable, but there's that. And I, but I really want to hone in on the idea of generous love by giving our time. Really hone in on that for just a moment. Um, I try not to always tell stories that make me look good, because I, I'm like you, I, I, I mess up at times. Like, I don't always listen to God. I don't always do what I'm supposed to. And, and sometimes pastors have a habit of telling stories that always make them look like the hero. And, but today, I, I'm telling these stories that in a way make me look good, but I want to preface this by saying it was the Holy Spirit at work and I was a reluctant disciple in both instances. I did not want to do either one of these. So I, I got a, a message uh, the other day from... Uh, from a, I'll just, well, a young lady who gave birth and uh, she wanted me to come visit and I was, I was honestly really busy. And, and I was I don't know if I have time for this. And, and uh, I was like, I oh, do no. you need to make time. Uh, you need to make time because people matter. And so I went and, and she shared with me, uh, she said, you know, my, parent, or my grandparents used to be at Indian Lake, that's the Nazarene campgrounds over by Kalamazoo. So my grandparents used to be at Indian Lake all the time and most people would just walk by them and didn't really talk to them. But I noticed that you would always stop and talk to them. And I, I never thought anything of this. I just, that's just what you do, right? You just, you spend time and you talk to people because they're worth it. And she said to me, I'm not always sure about God, but I knew that you were true. That's, that's what she said. I knew you were true and that God was in you. Why? Because I took the time. To talk to some people that most people didn't and that same day I got a, uh, a little note card in the mail and and I had been asked to do a funeral so I used to work at Menards sorry I'm like it's ramble stories this morning but uh, I used to work at Menards in the morning as a, a morning stalker and and pastored Hope Church and one of the guys I worked with is the grumpiest old man I've ever met in my life I, I can't say the things he would say to me uh but he, he was grumpy and grouchy and his wife passed away a few weeks ago and and he doesn't have a pastor and he remembered well I worked with Will and he was a pastor and so he got a hold of me and and I didn't want to do the funeral not because I have anything against them but I, I kind of felt like the older brother I went, Lord I've been working for you so hard and I've been doing all these things I don't have time for a, another funeral but again, the Spirit's good, the Holy Spirit's good, and I was like, no, everyone deserves a funeral, everyone deserves pastoral care, whether they want it or not, you, I, you need to do this funeral, okay. So I, I went, and, and this card just basically said, thanks, thanks for taking the time to love us, to care about us, thanks for asking questions about our mom, like just thank you for spending time with us. And and they didn't use language about God, but but I have to believe that what what they were saying was, we noticed. We noticed that you care. And, And why do I care? Well, one, I just think you're supposed to, but mostly because, again, that is how generous God has been towards us, how gracious God has been towards us, that God cares enough to not just wait, but run to us and embrace us. And then not wait in the party, but come out to the, those who are maybe a little bit reluctant like me. Uh, and, and to say, come on in. I love you too. And so, during this Lenten season, and really as a way of forming us in the pattern of Jesus Christ, would you look for ways to give your time to people? Conversations. Uh, coming alongside them in a time of need, or or even just inviting them over to, to share a meal. I'm convinced that we need to stop trying to gain honor for ourselves by being the best church people, and instead follow the way of Jesus, which is to lay our lives down and spend time eating with and loving the lost. God has been so generous towards us. So let's put it into practice. By loving others with the same graciousness and generousness and celebration that God has towards us. Going to the lost and embracing them with the love of God has shown, that God has shown towards us. Because why? Because that is who God has been for us. Amen.